Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. And you're listening to KEXP, where the music matters. We're at 90.3 FM in Seattle, streaming worldwide at kexp.org. I'm Cheryl Waters. It seems like I have been waiting so long for this day. Ooh, I got the intro music. Amanda Palmer is live here in the KEXP studios. We planned this oh so many months ago, and we're so happy to have you here. Long before your album, There Will Be No Intermission, was out, and I had only heard one song. Which song? Drowning in the Sound. Oh. And I was like, let's book it. And Thank you for re- having me. The rest of the album came out in May, I mean in March, and mm-hmm. there were 20 songs in all on there. And Technically 10. <laughs> 10 of them are, are fake little, I mean, they're not fake. They're, they're just little instrumental interludes. Um, it's a 10-song, 80-minute record with some little attachments. I mentioned 20 because I know who helped work on those interludes, and oh. that was a local uh, friend mm-hmm. of ours, Jarek Bischoff. My hero. He's a great friend of yours. He yeah. loves you. And I love him. I know he helped you on this record, um, as did John Congleton. I want to dive in. I've got so many questions for you, and I know you're going to start with Drowning in the Sound, which is so lovely because that was my introduction to this album. And Amanda, I know... Um, from following you on Instagram and following your career since Dresden Dolls, that you love to give context <laughs> to your music. And Why not? So many artists say, I just put it out there, it's kind of vague, and I'm going to let people take with it what they want. And people definitely do that with your music. They take from it what they need and what they want. But you love to give that context, and I love that about you as an artist. It definitely works for me. Mm. And you have a very intense and unique relationship with your fans you are literally supported by them through Mm. a platform called patreon sometimes physically (laughs) in many ways and you give so much back to them but one of the unique things that you have done on this record is you have taken input Mm. from your fans to help you write the songs on a number of songs and drowning in the sound is one of those before you play that song can you give us a little bit of context about that yeah, so my my Patreon, which is the platform that I use now to fund everything, um, I had a really big Kickstarter back in 2012. Um, it's still like it still holds the record for the biggest music Kickstarter, uh, but it wasn't really a sustainable model because I didn't want to just do another Kickstarter every year. It was just too exhausting, and I also got so much input from my community that they didn't just want an artifact. Like, they didn't just want a record and a poster and a thing, you know, a bunch of, like, a plastic-wrapped thing in the mail. What they really wanted was to support me. You know, and also, like, as a radio station, you can understand that. Like, people just wanted me to be able to make my stuff freely and not have to worry about a label and not have to worry about corporate sponsorship and not have to worry about selling ads and not have to worry about running my material by a board. Um, And so at the same time, you know, Patreon was becoming a thing. And now I've got 15,000 patrons who who give me about an average of $3 a month to just create songs, albums, podcasts, music videos. Some of the stuff that I make is very, very, very lo-fi. Some of it is super expensive. And I'm just funded 
And for the first time in my career, I feel completely uninhibited to say and do and create whatever I want in whatever medium. And I really didn't see this coming. I know I thought Patreon would be great, but I didn't think that it was going to be this creatively emboldening and liberating, and it really has been. And this song is a great um, example of like how I sort of stumbled into a new way of making music. I, I write songs best when I write them fast in one sitting, especially if there's some kind of deadline or like carrot dangling, like I'm going to be able to play it at that show tomorrow or at that benefit this afternoon, like that, that will really light a fire under me. And this song, Drowning in the Sound, was written last August. And and the deadline was there because I didn't have anything to put out to my Patreon in August in order to get my paycheck. <laughs> I needed something to put out, and I had a couple of videos that were late in production. And I, and I thought, you know, I've wanted to do this forever. I'm just going to do it. I went to my blog and to my patrons, and I said, just tell me what's going on in your lives. I'm going to write a song tomorrow, and I'm going to demo it and put it out the next day. You'll have this song in 48 hours, and then I could get paid. <laughs> And Hurricane Harvey was happening at the time, and everyone was very scared about that down in Texas. I had some patrons who were, had actually filled up their cars with their belongings and were driving out of town, frightened that this was going to be the next Katrina. And all the images in the news were very scary. The eclipse had just happened. Um, and that morning when I went into the studio to write this song, I did something stupid, which you should never do if you're trying to get work done, which is I, I posted something flippant on Facebook. <laughs> and I, I wrote something about Taylor Swift's new video for Look What You Made Me Do, being like, congratulations, Taylor Swift, you're finally one of us, you're a goth, look, you're wearing black, you're angry, you're in a graveyard. You know, she had to be this really clean cut, palatable country star forever. And she didn't get what we got. Like we got to just lock ourselves in our bedrooms and smoke clove cigarettes and listen to the cure and slice our wrists. And she's arrived. It was a bad, it, it wasn't a bad joke, but it wasn't even that funny. And I left my computer, came back 20 minutes later, flipped it open and the post had gone viral. And the top comment was Amanda Palmer is clearly an unapologetic racist. And in Facebook logic, it was just because Taylor Swift had said something, you know, like allegedly racist two weeks before, and I hadn't addressed that in my post. And it was like one of those really awful new, like, internet, just one of those moments where you just slam your laptop shut. And I was like, I'm so glad I'm going into the studio today because I'm pissed. And it's really handy to be pissed when you're about to write a song. And all of those things just wound up colliding in one spot. Well, if you know this song, you'll hear all of that in it. It's Amanda Palmer live on KEXP. This Powered is by coffee. I think we should start running, running from the wall. 
From the bottom of the bow, I got some feelings up my sleeve. I got a compass in my arm. I got a needle in my heart. It's gonna tell us where we are. She's gonna get what's been coming to her. She's switching the tides. We can't batch it around the television. They're blaring out a warning that our natural state is drowning, that our natural state is burning. And you're trying to help, and you're kicking for change, and you're calling it out, and you're adding a name, and you're marching for peace, but you're lynching the bitch that got a finger face. I was thinking I'd take you seriously. And the prison's overcrowded, and the inmates know it's flooded, and the body politic is getting sicker by the minute, and the media's not fake, it's just very inconvenient. Do you ever feel like this should be officially the end, and that you should be the one to do the ending, but you can't? Do you ever feel like everyone is slowly letting go? Do you ever feel that, that incredibly alone? And they're saying not to panic, and it's like a broken record, as if anybody knows what that is. And they're saying that we'll manage, it's the hottest one on record, and they're saying that that's just the way it is. And now I can taste it coming, I can taste it with my tongue, 
and my children are so heavy, but I pick them up and run, and I know I'll have to swim soon when the water gets too high. I keep holding them above me, I keep holding them and crying. Big breath. <laughs> Amanda Palmer live on KEXP, drowning in the sound from her new album, There Will Be No Intermission. That is magnificent. I'm, I've got my friend uh, Lady Rizzo in the, in, the, in, the, in the recording room, and she's giving me the horns, so I know I did okay. You did more than okay. Amanda Palmer is playing Friday night at the Paramount Theater here in Seattle. Tickets still available. Show highly recommended. I do want to get to talking about the show and the record. I wanted to ask you super quick, after a wildly successful Kickstarter campaign, you wrote a book called The Art of Asking, How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Let People Help. And as someone who struggles with asking for help and works on it, I'm curious how that transformed your life because I imagine that more than the tangible rewards that you received, that Opening yourself up by asking, by connecting, by being vulnerable reaps rewards beyond what you can even imagine. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about that. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, what an interesting question to ask after that song. Um, I mean, that, that song to me is, especially in the context of that part of my life in the book, and I mean, we, we're all so incredibly disconnected from one another. And I mean, when you really start thinking about it and you start thinking about what is wrong with the world and how we're struggling politically and, and in, it, it's almost just like the, it, it all comes back to that fundamental problem that we seem to be having as people, as human beings and our ability to deeply connect with one another and therefore to be able to help and take care of one another. And the more I started looking and digging and thinking and researching and talking with lots and lots of people and also looking very deeply inside myself, that's just the 
it's just the topic that I kept coming back to. Because fundamentally, asking is just another word for connecting. Um, you know, it's an active way of trying to connect with another person. And the way we're raised, I mean, this culture is bananas. Mm-hmm. We're really taught this contradictory, hypocritical way of being, which is to be totally independent and totally, you know, totally pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get, you know, work hard and you'll do it. And we're not taught to rely on one another. We're not taught to connect with each other. We're not really taught the fundamentals of how to take care of each other. And we're also told that we'll sort of be punished and chastised if we ask for help, which is so stupid because the only way society works well is when we rely on each other. And, you know, especially having gone through what I've been through in the last five years since writing that book, going through abortions, going through childbirth, going through raising an infant, you know, and then a toddler, having a miscarriage, you know, the it just becomes clearer and clearer as day that everyone around me is happier when we do rely on one another for help, when we're honest with each other about the difficulties and the darknesses, when, when we don't hold back. And, um, you know, and that's showing up in my music. It's showing up in this record. It's definitely showing up in this tour. I mean, I'm doing a tour of North America where I get on stage and I talk for and play songs for four hours and share the most like <laughs> viscerally painful, intimate moments of my life. My friend dying, going through a miscarriage alone, having abortions, dealing, you know, dealing with all this stuff. But it, it feels, it feels like part of the antidote to what is ailing us right now. You might think that four hours and you're being quite literal there. The show is four hours with an intermission, oddly enough. But I heard you say at a talk recently that if there was no curfew, you'd go longer. You'd go six I, hours. I did, I did the other night. I played five hours in Denver. It was so good. <laughs> so it's clearly not draining you, even though the subject matter is very intense. Um, it's giving you energy. You must be getting a lot of that from the audience as well. I follow mm. you on Instagram, which is quite an adventure and a joy. And you take a picture of yourself with the audience each night. Um, I like the audience. Feels a lot of joy. <laughs> Talk about what you get from the audience at those shows. Well, I mean, a lot of this comes back to why I wanted to be a musician in the first place. You know, I wanted to be a musician, a songwriter, and a performer because I wanted to be with people. I wanted to feel connected. I wanted to feel that, like, you know, I wanted to live in that area of euphoria where, like, you got to be with everybody and you got to feel connected and the idea that you would get into music and into performing and isolate yourself was just like I just don't understand why anyone would do that um and you know it's been the the hardest thing for me and I you know I went through a phase of it with the Dresden Dolls my band and I go through it now is there's a scale and energy problem you know, when you're playing union theaters and you do a four-hour show, you can't also do a two-hour signing, which is what I usually do. And those signings, to me, you know, are they're almost emotionally necessary to come down after a show like that, to actually get to hold everybody's hand and listen to their abortion stories and their, 
you know, their own experiences of the show. It's kind of like, it's like the cuddle after sex. Like, <laughs> just leave, like getting into a car after a four-hour show and then going and sitting in a hotel room alone or even just hanging out with friends can feel very disorienting. Um, Is and, that where your patrons maybe come in for you? Well, I mean, at the end of every show, I go to my Patreon and I send out a virtual signing line where I just say, like, I'll be here, you be there. Tell me what you thought of the show, unload, if you have any stories, you know, let's all be here together, at least in this virtual space, because we can't stay in a union theater until four in the morning, and also I have to protect my voice, and I have to do this again tomorrow for four hours, and I have to get on a plane. Um, but, you know, all, all of this, I, I explore some of this stuff in my book, in The Art of Asking, and I've also thought about it a lot. I mean, a big part of why the Dresden Dolls really worked as a community is we were a community band. We signed, until we were playing venues of two or 3,000, we signed after every single show. And we liked it. We wanted to. We wanted to be connected with everyone. We wanted to hold everybody and f see their tears and, you know, look at their knitted vaginas or, like, whatever it was that they had to bring to the merch table. Like, you know, that's, that's why we did it. We were a punk band. We wanted to be connected with our community. We didn't want to just grab our paycheck and leave. That sort of defeated the purpose of doing the job in the first place. Well, I love with this virtual signing line how it's an example of you embracing social media, the internet, technology. And with Patreon, I know you do release things for your patrons, but you have decided to stick with the album format. And this is your first record in seven years, and obviously you've been very busy with all sorts of musical and other projects and also having and raising a child, and a lot's been going on in your life and the world around us, and even just the litany that you gave a few minutes ago of everything you could have put in this record, you kept it fairly discreet and concise, and you talk about birth and life and death and grief and abortion. But tell me about... The light um, topics. The, ...this record, because you didn't put everything in no. it. no. No, I actually, um, I, 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 I was in a five-year argument with John Congleton because I kept trying to get him in the studio with me to just work on one-off songs, and he wouldn't do it. He just kept hanging up on me. He was like, call me when you're ready to do a record. Boom. Call me when you're ready to do a record. And I was like, I'm not doing records anymore. I have my Patreon. I'm getting paid really handsomely you know, by my fans to just put these offerings out, to put these songs out. The record is dead. Streaming is king. You know, but you're my favorite engineer and producer. And like, uh, why are you making me do this? Why are you living in the 80s? And then I realized, you know, after I had demoed and released a bunch of these songs for Patreon, I, you know, I didn't think they were demos at the time. I thought that these were going to be the fully, finally, you know, final realized songs. And then I got to a point where I looked at the collection and, you know, it's almost like looking at one of those magic eye books, like the record just appeared. And I thought, oh, like there is a collection here. If I put together these songs, these eight songs that it's a memoir, it tells the story of a really difficult journey that I've gone through in the last, you know, six years of my life, whatever. And then what was most important is I also saw a gap like, I saw things that were missing from the story. There wasn't a good song about abortion. There wasn't a good song about my miscarriage. And, and I thought, wow, for this record to be complete, I need to write those. Those are going to be really hard songs to write. That probably means that I should do it. And I also, you know, I had the home team advantage of 
being able to go to my Patreon and say, I'm going to write this song about abortion tomorrow. I'm going to ask you guys, you tell me, like if you could say anything right now to a woman in America going tomorrow to get an abortion, what would you tell her? And I got 1,500 comments of the most like compassionate, non-judgmental, beautiful. I mean, it's almost like reading a book of poetry. I cried reading it. And I wish I could send that link to every woman I know in America tomorrow going to get an abortion so, so that she knew how unalone and supported she was. And I took all of that you know, into the studio the next day. And I had had a really hard time grappling with the topic of abortion and songwriting. You know, the Dresden Dolls had a really sort of like funny, satirical jazz, jazz song about abortion like on our second record, but it was just soaked in irony. And I also had a really irony-soaked song called Oasis that was, you know, that Ben Folds produced and played on on my first solo record. But I had found it really difficult to write a song about abortion that, that wasn't flippant, that wasn't satirical. And you wrote voicemail for Jill. And I wrote voicemail for Jill with help from all of those patrons. They were just with me in the studio when I wrote. Well, we're with Amanda Palmer right now. You're going to play that song for us. I is live on KEXP. Just waving from London, I know that you're going tomorrow, the hardest decision. And I've been on the side of the phone for a month, and I know you're in hell, and you know that I know what you're feeling. Life's such a bitch, isn't it? When you have a baby, they throw you. And then when you die, they get together for a cry. But no one's gonna celebrate you. No one's gonna bring you cake. And no one's gonna shower you with flowers. The doctor will congratulate you no one on that pavement's gonna shout at you that your heart also matters I'm not sure that you'll get this in time. I don't know if you're checking your voicemail at all, but in case it's the morning. And you're off with the green line and walking through Copley. I want you to stop for a second. I want you to listen. You don't need to offer the right explanation. You don't need to beg for redemption or ask for forgiveness. 
You don't need a courtroom inside your head Where you're acting as judge and accused And defendant and witness It's a strange grief, but it's grief Look at all the women in the street You know the statistics, Jill Even though they may not help Isn't it amazing? How we can never tell Who is in an identical Amanda Palmer, live here in the KEXP studios. That is voicemail for Jill. A very powerful song on the new album, There Will Be No Intermission. Wow. Luckily, it has nothing to do with, with what's going on in the country right now. So, 
you know. But in its time, it was a very popular tune. I know you recorded this record um, during the Kavanaugh hearings, which must have been interesting. Yeah. You know what's crazy? I tracked that song that... If you listen to the record, the, the, the overdubs and the production of the record are just so incredibly beautiful and sparse, and there's just nothing more than what's needed. And John and Jarek Bischoff, Bischoff did an amazing job. So did this guy, Max Henry. They all helped me sort of paint on these songs. But I did that song in one take, and I did it the day after the Kavanaugh hearings. It just, the timing just worked out that way. And... um I mean, everyone in the studio was really devastated, but it was also a really nice feeling to think that that we were adding our <laughs> our one teeny little drop in the bucket of um, of you know of backlash to the the kind of powerlessness that everybody felt when that happened. I mean, that was the overarching feeling. All the texts I was getting from my friends, all, everyone just felt so powerless. And um, and being able to write that song and being able to articulate something like that, because when you actually when you look at that song, it's not it's not fundamentally political. It's it, 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 if it works, it's an exercise in empathy, which is what we need, you know. Which is what I think anyone who is trying to you know wrest a woman's autonomy over her body away from her is lacking. It does seem like empathy and connection is a thread that ties your work together for me. And I don't know. It's just moving. (laughs) I have like a million questions I want to ask you, and we are so short on time. I really recommend that people follow this incredibly interesting and funny woman on Instagram and join her Patreon. You know, we have a sort of similar thing, or actually a direct parallel here at KEXP, which is a sustaining gift. We have uh, amplifiers who provide, also give us their credit cards and trust us to create engaging, interesting, and exciting content for them. Spend money on all this fancy equipment that we are using right now. Yes. Some of it (laughs) donated also by people who support us. And it is an incredible feeling. I mean, it allows us to fundraise less on the air and to spend more time creating meaningful content. And that's exactly what you're doing. And that, that connection for us is is paramount it's it's irreplaceable yeah and there is something um there's something incredibly like i i used the word before but it's like it's emboldening to know especially as a songwriter there was always this little voice in the back of my head especially after you know i was out doing the hustle and like learning what it was like to make my way in the music industry. There's always this little voice in the back of your head going like, how am I going to capitalize on this? I'm going to have to go out and sell this song. I'm going to have to pitch this project. And to not have that niggling little voice in the back of your head, knowing that there's already, knowing that your work is pre-supported, pre-paid, and that, you know, you've sort of got this like, this audience that just has your back that wants you to be braver, that wants you to experiment, that wants you to just, like, spend their money and go for it. Um, It really is, it's a different way of making media, a different way of making art. And, you know, I won't go on and on and on about, about how capitalism has ruined the earth, but, like, capitalism has also really ruined a lot of artistic process, 
because it can't be about the bottom line and the profit and the money. That's not why human beings started making art. Human beings started making art and music and painting and you know, doing all the things that we started doing way back in the day, thousands of years ago, to connect with each other, not to sell things to each other. Well, connection is at the core of what we do, and it enriches both our lives and the lives of the people around us, I feel. If it's good, yeah, if we're doing our jobs. <laughs> exactly. Amanda Palmer, live here in the KEXP studios. If you're in Vancouver, she's playing tomorrow night at the Chan Center for Performance and this Friday back in Seattle at the Paramount Theater. Tickets still available? Yeah, and then uh, Portland Saturday and Sunday, but both shows are sold out. Sorry about that. And then you're going to head uh, across the pond, more touring for you? Yeah, I'm going to be taking, so there will be no intermission. It's basically, it's like a theater stage show. It's a one-woman show. There's a lot of stand-up type stories and then a lot of sad songs and some Disney songs to keep things light. Um, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm taking the show to the UK. I'm taking it to Europe. I'm taking it to Australia and New Zealand. And then I think... The way things are looking now politically, I think what I'm going to do is bring it back to the States for one final lap um, and play the states that are banning abortion. Yeah, you've just come from the Midwest, and I imagine oh, yeah. that was very interesting. <laughs> was, I was just at a rise, just at a Planned Parenthood rally in St. Louis. And, um, you know, I like, I feel again, like, I, I don't, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. But also, like, the, the choir needs inspiration right now. It's dark out there. Well, thank you for providing some inspiration for us today. We're live here in the KEXP studios. It's Amanda Palmer, the new album, There Will Be No Intermission. Get out there and see this show. Amanda, thank you so much for your generosity. Thank you so much for having me. You've got a tune to KEXP Seattle. So I got, I got really into... Um, writing these songs really fast, like these flash songwriting sessions. And, um, and I would go to my blog, to my patrons for comments and, and just try and make a song out of the comments. And, and for this song, I went to the blog and I said, just tell me in the comments what you're afraid of right now. Like, keep it relatively short because <laughs> I have to read all this. But, uh, you know, just tell me right now, it could be anything, what you're afraid of, something big, something small, personal, political, whatever. And I got all these comments, you know, like 1,500, 2,000 comments. And the most amazing thing about these comments is that they just started stacking up subject-wise, like really equally for all these people who were dealing with their aging, dying parents and taking care of them and, um, and, and, and not really being able to, to deal with it. And then there were all these people who were estranged from their parents. Like, for whatever reason, they'd come out of the closets and, and closet and their parents weren't talking to them. And it was just like, there's an equal number of these problems. Um, there were all these people dealing with infertility and IVF issues and they couldn't get pregnant. And then there were all these people who were dealing with abortion and miscarriage and, like, those kept piling up. And these people couldn't, find love and were lonely couldn't find a relationship and these people were in you know an abusive relationship or a, a crappy marriage that they couldn't get out of and it was just like it just started to look like oh like here we are we're all suffering 
It's just different brands of suffering. It's like the Coke and Pepsi of suffering. Just, and I, and I started writing all these notes down and stuff. I had a bunch of note cards around the piano and, and there were these two comments that were really funny. This one guy wrote in and said, dear Amanda, I love your work. Like, you know, it's bad when someone says that. He said, I love your work. I joined your Patreon so I could be happy. And I was like, oh God. So I, I took that chance to procrastinate and I, um, I, I Googled around for like the happiest Patreon account I could find. I finally found this guy from the Midwest who, uh, who wrote children's songs about math. And I cut and pasted that, like commented back to the guy, like, I don't think I'm the one you want. You want this guy. Uh, and there was this other guy that commented, I'm not afraid of anything anymore. I just remember what Bill Hicks said. And I knew exactly, like, my, I love that my cameraman is nodding. <laughs> I'm a huge Bill Hicks fan, and I knew what he was talking about. Bill Hicks, is, Bill Hicks has this beautiful monologue uh, that closes out one of his stand-up shows where he just talks about how life is like a ride. It's like a ride at an amusement park. It goes up and down, has thrills and chills, and it's very distracting and very brightly colored. And some people have been on the ride a very long time, but they know it's a ride, and they come back, and they try to remind us, don't be afraid of anything ever, because it's just a ride. And... And I thought, wow, can I steal that? I'm going to steal that. Um, and the most beautiful thing is it, it turns out that Bill Hicks's brother, Steve, knew my work. And then I, I wrote this song and I, I, I wrote to him and I said, I hope you don't think it's weird. I kind of stole this line. Can I have your blessing? And he sent me this beautiful package, like Bill Hicks CDs. Bill Hicks card. I got the, I sort of got like the, the indirect Bill Hicks blessing for my stealing. So I wrote the song in one sitting. I demoed it. I put it out the next day with help from all my patrons who I love. Everyone's too scared to open their eyes up But everyone's too scared to close them Everyone's frightened, they don't know what's coming But everyone's frightened of knowing Everyone's reading the rules of engagement And everyone's starting to doubt them Everyone's reaching to put on a seatbelt But this kind of ride comes without them They want you to think of me sitting and singing beside you I wish we could meet all the people behind us in The climb to the crest is less frightening 
with someone to clutch you. But isn't it nice when we're all afraid at the same time? And it's just a ride. It's just a ride. Justified by the collapse that will happen. Everyone's placing their bets just in case the whole thing's a profound disappointment. Everyone's trying to stay on the side where the water's just boiling more slowly. Frogs in a pot. Well, that's one thing I've got. At least some of the frogs in here know me. They want you to think of me sitting and singing beside you. The chain pulls us up, and we know that we're all gonna.
about Because coming out's going down badly Feel the city breaking And everybody's shaking And I just want someone to hold me Some are too scared to let go of their children And some are too scared now to have them Suicide, homicide, genocide Man, that's a fuck ton of sides you can choose from I want you to think of me sitting and singing beside you I wish we could meet all the people who get left behind The ride is so loud it can make you think no one is listening But isn't it nice when we all can cry the same Come on out, darling, 